Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. Today, we're talking about how to approach the SAT and or the ACT, the two standardized tests that most colleges will use to assess your child's readiness for college. This is a very important topic, as we'll see. And as with most things in the college admissions process, it requires students and parents to get involved far sooner than they would think if they want to do well. That's the entire point of this podcast and Prepwell Academy, to give you the heads up early, to help you prepare early so that you can perform well. Now, whether or not an SAT or ACT score is an appropriate metric to determine which students will or won't be successful in college, or in life for that matter, is debatable and not something that we're going to address in this particular episode, maybe down the road. But in this episode, we will answer questions like, how do I approach these tests? When should I take these tests? Which test should I take? What's the difference between the SAT and the ACT? How do I compare scores of an ACT versus an SAT? Should I take one or should I take both? How big a deal is my score? How many times should I take it? How much should I expect to improve? What are the best ways to prepare for these tests? What if I don't want to take either test? I'd like to start off with some context regarding where these standardized test scores fit into the overall admissions process. Remember, when it comes to college admissions, the big three factors, as I like to call them, will determine what tier of colleges you should consider. And they are, number one, GPA, number two, the rigor of the coursework, and number three, standardized test scores, primarily the SAT or the ACT. Those are the big three that you have to consider early on. So the short answer is the SAT or ACT score is very important. It's important in conjunction with GPA and with the rigor of the courses to get you through the first screen. Here's what I mean by that. Colleges need to have some type of objective measures that they use in order to manage the tens of thousands of applications they receive. They simply don't have the time or the resources to give each application the same consideration. So to streamline this process, Colleges will look at GPA, rigor of courses, and an SAT or ACT score in order to weed people out. If you don't meet a particular threshold for a particular school, which, by the way, is rarely ever published, you will hit the screen, which means your application will get rejected. You'll be dropped. This is the only way most schools can survive the torrents of applications that they receive. So for this reason, the more selective the school you want to be considered for, 
the better these three metrics must be. If you want to go to Princeton and you have an 1150 on the SAT out of 1600, you will likely hit the screen. There are exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, an 1150 is not competitive for Princeton, and your application will likely die a quick death. Again, I'm generalizing here. You can always find exceptions. The SAT and ACT, along with some other standardized tests, will also be considered when applying for merit scholarships, colleges who want to entice students with high SAT or ACT scores to their school will often offer tuition discounts, sometimes significant ones. This is just another reason why an SAT or an ACT score is very important. And of course, spending the time and the effort, and sometimes money, figuring out how to prepare for and perform well on a standardized test is a very valuable life skill to acquire. I can almost guarantee you that the SAT will not be the last time your child will face an important standardized test. The last time I counted, I had taken well over 20 standardized tests over my working career. It started with the SAT when I was in college, and then I worked for Goldman Sachs. So I had to take certification tests to sell stocks and bonds and securities, known as the Series 7 and Series 63 exam. I took military tests when I joined the Navy, the ASVAB and the Military Officer Aptitude Test. I took the GMAT to go to business school, a civil service exam to become a firefighter, certifications to become a personal trainer and a nutritionist, and the list goes on. Scoring well on these tests has given me untold opportunities that I would not have otherwise had. So it's important that your child understand how the process of studying for a test like this works. And they may as well start now. Why not? Assuming you believe that the SAT or ACT is an important score, or at least that the learning that comes along with studying for such a test is valuable for your child, let's talk about what your child can do to best prepare. My first caveat is that this process works best with students who actually care about how well they do on the test. Much like with Preppel Academy, if your child could care less about the SAT or ACT, these strategies may not take root. Now, you have to be patient and pick your battles, but lack of motivation is a killer. By the way, during this podcast, you'll probably hear me use the word SAT to represent SAT and or ACT. I just use it as shorthand for ease of speaking. I will likely default to SAT, but just know that these days colleges do not care at all which test your child takes. So I don't want you to think that I'm preferring SAT because I use that more often than not. There's no bias. There's no reason to take one over the other. We'll address that in a few minutes and some other reasons why your child might want to take the SAT versus the ACT, but colleges do not care. So let's begin with the when. When should your child begin to think about the SAT or ACT in any way, shape, or form? Well, it's hard to deliver this message to preteens, but the truth is their study habits in elementary and middle school, especially when it comes to reading and math, will have significant impact on their ultimate SAT and ACT score. The reading and the writing skills, 
that they develop in middle school will establish their baseline score. In other words, how well your child does in 11th grade has a lot to do with how engaged they were with reading and math in 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th grade. If they were a voracious reader and a conscientious math person, chances are they'll have a very strong starting point, or what we call a baseline score. If, on the other hand, academics was supplanted by video games and Xbox and Snapchat during those early years, chances are their baseline scores will suffer. The first actual hands-on experience your child will probably have with the SAT or the ACT normally comes in 10th grade, the beginning of 10th grade, when they, I hope, are offered a chance to take what's called the PSAT 10 during the school hours. The PSAT is a practice SAT, the P is for practice, that is often offered to sophomores in high school. They don't necessarily have to study for it, but I still recommend to my online prep wellers to at least review the test's format, the types of questions, the length of the test. They don't necessarily have to hardcore prepare for it, but I don't like them to go in cold either. The PSAT 10 is normally given in October of sophomore year, with scores that become available sometime in December. This PSAT 10 score is a leading indicator of where your child might end up on the actual official SAT in junior or senior year. Some students and parents mistakenly think that their score in 10th grade will magically go up by their junior and senior year because they're a year or two older and wiser. This is not a good assumption. Just because your child scores a 1350 on the PSAT 10 in 10th grade does not necessarily, mean that they will do far better a year later. The 10th grade test is calibrated to 10th graders. The score is supposed to represent where your child will be when they take the test in 11th and 12th grade. Here's a sports analogy. It's not the same as when you have a child who is playing with older kids on a sports team, also known as playing up. You've probably seen kids or maybe your own kids have played up. They're a sixth grader and they're playing on the eighth grade team. And you may hear your parents say, oh boy, my son's playing really well on varsity and he's only a freshman. Imagine how good he'll be when he becomes a senior when he starts playing with kids his own age. That is not the way it works with the PSAT 10. How your child does on the PSAT 10 represents how competitive they are with students in their peer group in 10th grade. So when you're trying to anticipate where your child might end up in 11th or 12th grade in terms of their SAT or ACT score, don't randomly add on points just because your child was a sophomore when they took it. This age difference is already baked into the score. Once your child gets their PSAT 10 score, a score that most likely represents having done little to no preparation, you can then start to project how they might do next year on the real thing. Next year in 11th grade, for a sophomore now, they will take another PSAT, it's called the official PSAT or the PSAT NMSQT, it's a fancy acronym for the National Merit Scholarship Qualifying Test, and they will presumably take a real SAT or ACT 
in 11th grade as well. So this 10th grade PSAT 10 is, is just a prelude to more to come in the later years. What factors should you use as a parent when trying to project their 11th or 10th grade score on this standardized test? Well, here are a couple of them. Number one, how much preparation did they do for the PSAT 10? If they went in cold and they did zero preparation, then they might have a little more upside in 11th or 12th grade. Number two, how much do you believe your child actually cares about how well they'll do on the SAT down the road? Number three, how motivated your child will be to study for the SAT or the ACT. Number four, how much time your child has to study for the SAT. Number five, if you believe they'll study, what form of study do you anticipate they'll do? Online? Physical books from the library? In-classroom instruction? One-on-one tutoring? What types of things or what method do you think they'll use? And number six, how they have done historically on standardized tests. Now, when you think about those six things, I want you to come up with a potential projected score based on the PSAT 10 on how they'll do in 11th and 12th grade. And we'll talk about why that matters here in a bit. And of course, you're merely guessing at what this improvement might be based on your best judgment, but at least it gives us a starting point. Let me give you a few examples. If your child got, say, a 1080 on their PSAT 10, and they have not been a particularly big reader or math person historically, and they don't seem overly motivated to study for the SAT down the road, and they've been average at best on standardized tests up until now, then it's likely that they will likely get somewhere in the low 1100s on the actual PSAT in 11th grade and the SAT in 11th grade or 12th grade. Now, don't assume that they will make some big leap into the 1200s or 1300s or 1400s on the actual SAT. Now, the light bulb may turn on at some point. They may turn things around. They may begin to take things more seriously. If that's the case, there may be a little bit more upside. If they begin to start taking SAT prep seriously and they take out an SAT prep book or they use Khan Academy or they start reading more, or they enroll in a class, they find a tutor, then it's possible that they can bump their score 100 points maybe. Maybe they can sneak into 1,200 territory. The delta in the improvement will hinge on the quality of their tutoring, the method that they use to study, and the time they spend preparing. And we'll touch more on that a little bit later. Let's try one more example. Let's say your child scores a 1390 on the PSAT 10. That's pretty good, especially if they took it cold. For a student like this, with such a high baseline score, relatively, there's a chance that they have some significant upside. I like to tell kids that a score like a 1390 puts them within striking distance of a very competitive score. It doesn't mean that they're going to get there or that it's even likely, but at least they have a fighting chance. This assumes that the high baseline score is a result of them being an engaged student, an avid reader, an above-average math student. If this is the case, and they start early enough, and they get good guidance, and they get after it with a tutor or Khan Academy or classroom help, then there's a chance they sneak that score into the hallowed grounds of the 1500s. 
Now, this is not going to happen by accident or by dint of time alone. It will happen through focus, planning, and a lot of hard work. Unless your child is a very gifted test taker, a natural, it is very difficult to break into the 1500s without a lot of work. By the way, an SAT score in the 1500s, where the maximum score is a 1600, this is a very competitive score for any college, including all the Ivies. Of course, it doesn't mean that your child will get in anywhere they want, but it will definitely prove that they're worthy of being in the conversation, which is all these days you can ask for. Hopefully now you have a few reference points when it comes to SAT scores and your child's overall attitude and ambition. And let's assume for a minute that your child is very interested in raising that SAT score between 10th and 12th grade. How do they go about doing that? Now, I'm going to lay out the PrepWell plan for preparing for the SAT or ACT. But before I jump in, here are some caveats. To be successful, your child needs a baseline level of motivation. We are not miracle workers here. They have to want to improve their score. And ideally, by the end of sophomore year, they will have completed most, if not all, of the math that will be required on the math sections of the SAT or ACT. Yes, of course, there's still room to learn new stuff, but it's better if they've been in some kind of an honors or accelerated math program, which will have covered most of the SAT math by the end of sophomore year. Assuming this is the case, here are the steps. Step number one, before the end of sophomore year, your child should take an official diagnostic SAT test and an official diagnostic ACT test under real test-taking conditions within a month of each other. Let me repeat that. Before the end of sophomore year, your child should take an official diagnostic SAT test and an official diagnostic ACT test under real test-taking conditions, all, both of them, within a month of each other. This is so that we can do an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. What do I mean by that? Well, no student knows for sure which test they would perform better on, the SAT or the ACT. Now, of course, some students think they know which one they'd prefer, but they'll never know for sure unless they take them both in close succession. And I wrote a whole blog about the differences between these two tests. Feel free to go to my website at prepwellacademy.com, go to the blog and look up that specific blog about how to compare these two tests. Suffice it to say, the SAT has a tendency to be more reading intensive, even for the math problems. The ACT, on the other hand, has a science section, which the SAT does not. And the math section really rewards speed over complex problem solving, for instance. Now, you can dig into those differences on your own, but let me just say this. Your child should take a practice test for both tests before making any final decisions. Don't go by what Sally said or what Joey said or what their friend did or take diagnostics or practices for both, then start making your decision. Number two, and by the way, as an aside, it's important to know that colleges, as I said earlier, they do not care whether a student takes the SAT or the ACT. It makes no difference. There's no preference. One is not easier than the other. They are the same. Now, having said this, just so you have some awareness when you hear people talking about these test scores, the tests are scored on different scales. The SAT is graded on a scale of 400 to 1600. The ACT is on a scale from 0 
to 36. So a perfect SAT score is a 1600. The equivalent of a perfect ACT score is a 36. In order to compare the scores of these two tests, you need to refer to what we call a concordance chart that will show you how one score compares to the other. For instance, a 32 on the ACT may be the equivalent of, I don't know, maybe a 1430 on the SAT, somewhere around there. The point is to see which test your child scores higher on. Many students, including my own sons, score almost exactly the same on both diagnostic tests. That's okay. That's actually the way it should be. They want the tests to be close to one another in terms of the outcomes. Other students, however, do far better on one test over the other for a number of reasons. If the scores on the SAT and ACT are about the same, then my advice is to let your child pick whichever test they feel more comfortable with. If the scores are wide apart, the prevailing wisdom is to take that test that your child did much better on. Their brain may be better equipped to handle one type of test over another. The key is to take both tests within a few weeks of each other under realistic test-taking conditions. No snacking, no Snapchatting, no petting the dog, no taking breaks, no watching ESPN. And then make an informed decision about which test to prepare for, which test to put all of your chips on. So the takeaway is don't prepare for both tests. Don't take both tests. You should select one test and prepare for that test and that test alone. Number three, and again, I know I'm going down tangents here. As an aside, please contact me if you need help finding a resource that will deliver these diagnostic SAT and ACT tests. I work with a company that sends a computer-based diagnostic test for SAT and ACT right to your student's computer. They log in. They get an online proctor who will administer the test for three and a half hours, and then automatically they will grade the test and send you a full score report on how your child did with lots of suggestions for improvement. And this is all done from the comfort of your home, on your child's schedule, and for free. So contact me for more details on how to get that process started. Number four, once your child has decided what test to take, now you must come up with a study plan. In my PrepWell online program, I recommend to all my PrepWellers to study for the SAT or ACT in the summer between sophomore and junior year with the goal of taking an early SAT or ACT in the beginning of junior year. Could be as early as the end of August or September or October. The reason I strongly suggest this timeline, especially if your child is good at math, is number one, it's extremely difficult to study for a standardized test with any type of rigor during junior year, the most intense academic year in all of high school. Just imagine trying to study for your SAT or ACT while at the same time playing a varsity sport, taking three, four, or five AP courses, visiting colleges, reaching out to coaches, leading the marching band, working on important group projects, preparing for mock trial studying for SAT subject tests, studying for AP exams, studying for end-of-year finals. Where exactly will your child find time to study for the SAT or the ACT? Maybe the most important test that they will ever take. 
And mind you, if you take too much time away from your classwork to study for the SAT, you'll be cutting your nose to spite your face. Your grades are as important, maybe more important, than your SAT score. So how do you possibly manage that trade-off? Students who try to study, and I mean really study, for the SAT or ACT during junior year, they are in for a rude awakening. It's impossible to do this well during the academic year. So what happens? Well, you've heard the stories. Students panic. They get anxiety attacks. They don't sleep. They freak out. They fall short of their potential. They do poorly on the test. Or they put the test off until the summer or until senior year, none of which are great outcomes. The second reason I suggest taking an early test is so that you can get an idea of where your child stands when it comes to colleges. There's no use spinning your wheels thinking about college X or college Y or visiting college Z if you have zero idea whether your son or daughter will be competitive at these schools. It's a waste of time. If you don't know where you stand with respect to standardized tests, you have no idea of what universe of colleges to even consider. The third reason I like taking an early test is that if you happen to do really well or you luck out and get a great test, it's possible that your child is done and they'll never look back. This takes an enormous burden off their back. Imagine being done with your SAT or ACT in the first few weeks of junior year. The fourth reason I recommend taking an early test is that it gives you time to recover if you didn't do as well as you wanted to, if you weren't feeling well, if you misbubbled your Scantron sheet, if you got a bloody nose, if you just had a bad day. I know students who have experienced all of these things. They happen. If something like this happens, there are plenty of opportunities to recover and simply register for the next date. The fifth reason I like the early test strategy is that you can study over the summer and peak at just the right time. During the summer, you have maximum concentration. You aren't trying to squeeze little bits and pieces of studying in between everything else that's going on during the school year. You have hours and hours a day to dedicate to studying, a luxury that most students don't have during the academic year. Okay, let's take a breath and review the steps because I know we've gone over a lot of stuff. Step number one, take a diagnostic test of both the SAT and ACT by the end of sophomore year. Contact me to find out how. Number two, pick one of the tests, presumably the one you did better on or the one you liked more or both. Number three, dedicate the summer or at least half the summer after sophomore year to prepare for this one test. Number four, register for late August or September or October test date. And number five, now, now we talk about how to prepare for the big test day. How a student prepares for the SAT or ACT is dictated by a few factors. Number one, how motivated is your child? This is probably the biggest factor. Number two, what type of resources are available to you, i.e., are you willing to spend any money to help in this process? And number three, how does your child prefer to learn? Do they like to work on their own, from a computer, from a book, in a classroom with other students, with a one-on-one -on -one tutor? That's going to be a factor as well. Let's address each of these factors 
one at a time. So the big one, how motivated is your child? If your child is not motivated, this is going to be a tough slog for you as the parent, no matter how well-intentioned you are or how great the test prep class is or the tutor is. As I'm sure you know by now, it is difficult, not to mention exhausting, when we have to constantly prod or nag our children to do things that they don't really want to do. And SAT or ACT prep is no different. Now, this doesn't mean that your child has to be rabidly chomping at the bit to spend four to six weeks over the summer studying. Not necessarily, but they should be somewhat motivated to take on this project. They should understand and have an appreciation for how much this means. One of the benefits of enrolling your child in Preppel Academy is that by the time this topic comes up, I have already seared into their brain how important this test can be. It's not going to be the first time they're hearing about this. And of course, they're hearing it from someone other than their parent. They're hearing it from me. Number two, what type of resources are available? This boils down to how much money, if any, are you willing to spend on SAT or ACT prep? You will need to decide this. This will dictate the type of prep programs that are available to you and your child. And let me say that this particular question often leaves me scratching my head. In my daily life, I talk to a lot of parents and students, but the parents, they've spent tens of thousands of dollars on their child's sports activities over the last, say, eight to 10 years. I'm talking 40, 50, $60,000 for uniforms and club teams, and travel, and lodging, and tuition, and equipment, and coaches' gifts, and donations. You, you know what I mean. And by the way, this investment, if you will, has not typically led to any type of athletic scholarship or payoff, which are pretty rare. These families simply, like I'll admit I have to some degree, got sucked up into the sports vortex, and the money spigot never turned off. But for some reason... When it comes to paying for SAT preparation, they pump the brakes. They don't want to do it, or they want to spend as little as possible. I'm not exactly sure why. Have they run out of money? Are they just burned out? Do they not think it's worth it? Are they sick of, by this point, shelling out endless amounts of cash every time they turn around? Now, all of these are valid reasons. I empathize with every one of them. My pushback, however is that their child's score on the SAT or ACT, like it or not, is extremely important when it comes to what types of colleges their child can apply to. If they don't do well on the SAT, their opportunity set when it comes to colleges shrinks, sometimes immediately and drastically. So why do these families who have seemingly endless budgets for club soccer for 10 years somehow decide that now is the time to pull the plug on academic support? Why was it okay to spend $50,000 on soccer, but they can't come up with $1,500 for a basic SAT tutoring program? Many of the families that I talked to have literally spent more money on soccer cleats and duffel bags over a few years than they're willing to spend on helping their child succeed on an SAT or an ACT. There seems to be some kind of mental block or a disconnect. If somebody knows why this happens, please let me know in the comments. 
I find it a very strange phenomenon. Now, if the family doesn't have the money to spend on sports and cleats and clubs and fancy stuff or anything else, then I get it. Not every family can spend money on any of these things. But I'm not talking about those families. I'm talking about the families who spend every single weekend for five, six, seven years at club volleyball, soccer, water polo tournaments at great expense, but for some reason, stop when it comes to SAT preparation. Well, I didn't mean to go down such a rabbit hole here, but I just had to get it off my chest. I see it all the time. If you as a parent want to spend money to help your child be more competitive in the college admissions process, SAT tutoring is an extremely good use of funds. And by the way, unlike youth sports, which rarely has any return on investment for the parents or the children who don't get scholarships, which are extremely rare, doing very well on the SAT or ACT makes your child eligible for legitimate academic-based merit scholarships that could save the family real money, $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 a year in tuition discounts. Those are, that's real money, not the fake scholarship money that everybody talks about. But now is the time that we're deciding to ratchet back spending? Think about it. In terms of what type of money you might want to invest, there's a continuum, of course. If you have zero dollars to invest, there are free online tools like Khan Academy, the official partner of the College Board that provides free world-class SAT tutoring online. That will serve your child well if they have the discipline to use it. You can, of course, take SAT or ACT prep books out of the library for free. There are many private online SAT courses, other than those on Khan Academy, that you can find for under $1,000. You can enroll in an SAT or ACT tutoring class, which are relatively affordable, between $1,000 and $2,000, since the cost of the instructor gets spread out among many of the students in the class. And of course, the most expensive option is personal one-on-one -on -one tutoring, which can range anywhere from $70 to $200, $300 an hour, depending on who you're working with. But keep in mind, these financial factors should be looked at within the context of what learning style your child prefers. And let's talk about that right now. Assuming for the moment that you have unlimited resources, it's still important to determine what method of study works best for your child. Are they disciplined enough to log into Khan Academy during the summer to work through the online courses? Or would they procrastinate and find anything else in the world to do before that? Are there too many distractions online? Do they prefer to be surrounded by other students who will motivate them and keep them on track? Would they prefer to have a set schedule every week where they go to a classroom and listen to an instructor in front of the room? Or would they do best with a one-on-one -on -one tutor who comes to the house, who gets to know them very well, discovers their strengths and weaknesses, and holds them accountable? That's for you and your child to decide. Obviously, you'll have to find the right balance between what you can afford and what would work best for your child. And like most things in life, the more effort you put in, your child puts in, the better results they'll get, whether that's Khan Academy time or one-on-one -on -one tutoring time. 
And just because the one-on-one tutoring is the most expensive does not mean that it's the most effective. I have seen cases where two students with the same baseline starting score and the same tutor and the same number of hours get wildly different results. One student improves by 240 points and the other by 60 points. Why this disparity? Because the latter student, the one who only improved by 60 points, didn't do the in-between work, the homework, if you will, assigned by the tutor. They must have just assumed that the tutor was going to do all the work during their sessions. That's not the way it works. The tutor assigns your child work, homework, and your child has to actually do the work to give something for the tutor to assess and help them with during their one-on-one sessions. That doesn't always happen. Remember, no shortcuts. Nothing comes easy. If you have the money for a one-on-one tutor and your child is motivated and willing to put in the in-between work and you want to help your child be in the best position possible when it comes to SAT and ACT scores, then contact me and I'll give you some suggestions on the best one-on-one tutors in the industry. And this is based on a lot of experience of seeing how prep welders do, including my own sons. Okay, let's summarize where we've come so far, because I know there's a lot to digest here. Here are the questions you should be asking yourself. Number one, how motivated is my child to take on this project? Number two, if they're motivated, you follow these steps. Have them take a diagnostic SAT and ACT toward the end of sophomore year. Contact me and I'll let you know how. Based on the diagnostic scores and recommendations, pick a test, SAT or ACT, not both. Then block out half the summer between sophomore and junior year to study for that test. Then register for the test, late August, September, October. Then decide the target score your child wants to get on the SAT or ACT. The more your child wants to improve, the more time they should carve out for studying. For instance, if your child gets a 1300 on a diagnostic SAT, but they really want to get a 1500 on the actual SAT, they better buckle up. A 200 point improvement is a very ambitious goal. I've seen it happen, but it takes a very concerted effort. Once they have their target score in mind, decide how much money you have if any, to commit to the mission. Once you have that number in mind, it's time to figure out the best method to get your child there. Khan Academy, books out of the library, online courses, a classroom course live, one-on-one tutor, either live or virtual, or some combination of these things, and then you go for it. And of course, maybe this goes without saying, but if you want me to walk your child and you through things like this, strategies and tactics about college admissions on a weekly basis, in small, bite-sized chunks, instead of this massive burrito, please enroll your child, if you haven't already, in Preppel Academy, where this entire process is laid out in great detail at all the right times of the year. We would love to have you inside the Prepwell family. Okay, folks, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you found this episode valuable. If you did, 
BAM. Please give us a quick review. It helps out a lot. If you know someone with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader in high school that you think might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. Find that little square with a little arrow coming out to it, out of it, pointing to the top. Share that with them. Sharing is caring. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for an episode, please reach out to me by email. DM me on Instagram, Preple underscore Academy, blog, Facebook, or LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to PrepWellAcademy.com and enroll your child today.